It happens to all of us eventually. One day, our tried and true favorite romance authors don't have anything new out, and we aren't in the mood to reread our favorites, so you know what time it is. Time to hunt for new game. And the hunt's fun, like really fun. But the game doesn't always satisfy the hunger, does it? In fact, it often only whets the appetite for more, for better, tastier game. And occasionally we go on a streak of really bad hunts, and then you wonder if there's any new game out there that will satisfy you the way your favorites have over the years. And that's when you spot something in the forest. Something new. Different. Yes, it's always been there, but you never gave it a second thought. You knew what you liked, and that wasn't it. But maybe now you're a little desperate, a bit starved for that feeling of discovery. Almost like the first time you read a romance, but more mature. So you take your time, and you choose your query, and you take your shot. For some, it's a confirmation of what they already knew to be true. The new game isn't as good as the old, and they were right to leave it in the forest. For others, like me, however, it's a new door, a new path, something exciting and unexpected. Hey, when you've been on the romance road as long as I have, this is a rare occurrence. But if there's one thing I can be grateful to the pandemic for, it's this moment, this new door. Hello and welcome to the Romance Tribe Podcast, Book Talk Edition. I'm your host, Amber Howard, and today I will be discussing my journey into the world of shifter romances and how it all started with Abigail Owen and her book, The Broke King. Friends, I have been wanting to talk about this book for a very long time. This is so, so, so beyond overdue, I can't even say. I read the book the first time and then immediately turned around and reread the book, and it was just as good the second time around. So this this podcast is long overdue. And I promise, minimal spoilers ahead. A disclaimer first is that I'm going to do my best to pronounce the names of these characters as best as I can, Um, but I apologize to the author or to anyone else uh, hearing this if the name doesn't quite roll off the tongue as easily as it should. So I did my best. Um, Anyway, that's that's it. That's my full disclaimer. All right, let's get started. For years, I was a historical romance reader only a 19th century and earlier kind of romance reader. Some might even say I was a snob about it, but I love the language and the cadence of historical romances, the forbidden and often stolen moments of passion, the descriptive landscapes and cityscapes, the manners and the strict rules of polite society, the clothes. And then for a while I got into period westerns and the love language of the rough and wild cowboys and their often delicate flowers who proved that they were tougher than they looked, the harsh and majestic beauty of the untamed land and the people who reside on it, It took years before I moved on to more contemporary romances, and longer still for me to even consider supernatural romances. It really was a perfect storm of desperation that got me on this path, and I am totally grateful for it. I hope this edition of Book Talk nudges some reluctant readers to take the shift to leap, and for my money, Abigail Owen is a perfect place to start that journey. It is an incredibly intricate dance to weave different series into the same supernatural world. But that's exactly what Owen did with her Fire's Edge, Infernal Rising, and Brimstone Inc. series. In these worlds that Owen created, all manner of the supernatural exist. There is an entire ecosystem of the supernatural with their own wars and political systems constantly at play, and all of it occurring simultaneously within the blissfully unaware human population. They live in the shadows, the forest, the mountains, and the cities all over the world. The histories of human and supernatural alike weaving in and out of one another over the millennia. 
and in The Rogue King, the first book in the Infernal Rising series, a civil war is brewing, and the world of dragons is about to be rocked forever. Keja Amon is a supernatural being thought to have been extinct for over 400 years. She's a phoenix. And in the dragon world, nothing is more dangerous or more powerful than being a phoenix. I should probably give you a brief summary of the phoenix lore as it exists in the Owenverse. A phoenix is destined to meet a dragon king. She is always female and always born of another phoenix. Quote, It is believed that the man who captured a phoenix would be blessed, unable to put a foot wrong, every choice the right one, every action leading to greater fortune. End quote. Because of this, any dragon mated to the phoenix would automatically become high king of the dragon world. A phoenix is said to have powers of foresight, visions, and healing, just to name a few. But there is much about the phoenix that dragons do not know. Hell, even Cage is in the dark about some of her gifts. She is a woman who is revered and coveted amongst dragons, while in the midst of struggling to find her place in this treacherous world. Now, about dragons. Unsurprisingly, they are the apex predators of the shifter world. I mean, of course they are. <laughs> They're massive, fire-breathing, nearly indestructible supernatural beings with giant razor-sharp talons, and they can fly. Of course they're total badasses. Dragons are often ill-tempered and prone to fight. In other words, you don't want to mess with a dragon. Well, unless you're a demon or have some serious magical powers, because claws and teeth ain't gonna get it done. From the very first couple of chapters, Owen drew me in with characters that were funny, smart, dangerous, and had tragic backgrounds that drove them. It begins with Serafina. After five centuries in hiding, she is finally found by the High Dragon King, King Pythios of the Red Dragon Clan, also known as the Rotting King. One look at him and you know why. He's literally falling apart. But back in the day, a young, ambitious Pythios believed he could mate Serafina and become High King of the Six Dragon Clans. Well, that didn't happen, but one out of two ain't bad since he did become High King, even without a phoenix. Of course, he had to spearhead an insurrection and murder at least two kings to do that, but one does what one must in pursuit of power. When Serafina defied Pythios and married the white dragon king Xalantamon, her destined mate, he murdered him along with her parents who at the time ruled the six clans. Ever since that horrific day, she'd been in hiding from him. Most in the dragon world believed her dead along with her mate because once a dragon is mated and their bond sealed, when one dies, the other dies as well, which is both romantic and tragic. In the case of dragons, when a mated pair is bonded, it's sealed by her mate's brand that burns into the flesh on the back of her neck. The brand isn't automatic when they mate, which is a whole other thing concerning fire, sex, magic, and all kinds of hotness. That being said, the brand comes as fast or as slow as it takes. But once it does, the mates can hear each other's thoughts and feel one another's moods and emotions. It is a deep, eternal connection between true mates. When Serafina's mate was murdered, their bond hadn't solidified. She didn't have the brand, so she didn't die with him as many believed. But Pythios knew better. He knew she lived and spent centuries hunting her. What he didn't know was that she was already pregnant when she escaped. Now that she's been found, she has to get home and enact a plan put into place for just this occasion, because she knows her time has come. Her death is the only way her powers are passed on to her daughter. She does manage to escape momentarily, but not before Pythios can deal her a death blow that leaves her minutes to get to Kasia. Remember, a phoenix has all kinds of powers. One of them is teleportation. Serafina manages to teleport to a field outside their home where Kasia is already waiting for her. Furious that she got away, Pythios knows where to find her, and she has moments before he finishes the job of killing her. In the second she has left, she teleports Kasia away to parts unknown even to Kasia. It is a beautiful and heart-rending moment where a mother's love is front and center as she defeats the evil Pythios in her final act on this earth. Kasia Amon Smart, 
combative, strong-willed, and confident, Kasia was sent to Alaska, along with the family hellhound whom they have affectionately named Maul. Almost a year after being teleported to Alaska, Kasia begins having these full-body migraines that manifest in her fire being set loose. Basically, she becomes this unpredictable firebomb. And as if fire wasn't enough, she goes blind and has glimpses of the future. Visions. And lately those visions are of a man she's never met, but somehow knows. Not understanding what's happening or how to control it, she seeks out treatment at a medical facility for the supernatural. And that's where rogue dragon Bran Astaroth tracks her down. To the dragon world, Brand is the worst type of beast, a dragon with no clan, and usually those type of anomalies are killed. But Brand is a rare exception. He serves the new king of the blue dragon clan, Leiden Omar, also known as the Blood King. Usually a dragon is born into their clan, so that means that there are certain traits that um, are specific to different types of clans. So maybe their dragon coloring, um, certainly the color of their eyes. Um, And also the most important thing is that they're all branded with that clan's sort of sigil. Dragons are an incredibly insular community, which means that if you were not born into that clan, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to get into that clan, like working centuries to gain that clan's trust in order for them to say that you're a member of their clan and dub you with their sigil. So Brand has been working a very long time to gain the trust of Leiden Omar. Rumor of a phoenix has reached the Blood King, and he sent Brand, the only dragon he can trust, to investigate and if it's true, to bring her back to him. The ultimate goal is for him to mate the phoenix so he can displace Pythios as the High King and put to rights what he has broken in the dragon world. Brand is a dragon with a dark and mysterious secret past, a past no one knows, not even Leiden, because if they did, he would be dead. Everything he's done up until the point where we meet him is to put him in a position to exact revenge, and Kasia is the final pawn in his quest. He wasn't even sure that the rumors were true about there being a phoenix. In fact, when he got to the clinic, he was downright hostile. That is, until he caught a whiff of smoke and chocolate. It was pretty much game on after that. Meanwhile, inside the clinic, Kasia is in the throes of one of her full-body migraines when Brand gets his first look at her. And oh boy, does he get a look. She's gorgeous. Also, she's naked and huddled on the floor in pain. A pain that for some reason he can feel. A pain that drives him into the room on pure instinct because for some unfathomable reason, she needs him. Having zero idea of what to do, he wraps the little firebird in his arms and by just his touch, she is both soothed and pushed to explode. After her detonation, she passes out in his arms, and from this moment on, Brand is totally on the hook. She is what he's been looking for. Later, when Kasia wakes up in her room and sees him there, she is immediately on guard. Even though she recognizes him from her visions, she doesn't trust him. And when she finds out he's a dragon, her alarm ratchets up to full-blown panic. But she's been trained her whole life to navigate dangerous situations, especially ones that involve dragons. She was raised to believe that dragons only want to possess a phoenix. They don't care who they are or what they want. They just want the power that comes from their possession. And she will not be any dragon's possession. So she does what any warrior would do when backed into a corner. She plays possum until Bran leaves and then makes her escape. Now, the predator and prey scenario in romance is one of my faves. And Owen does not disappoint. In Kasia, she's drawn a heroine who is smart, determined, and funny. I was instantly on her side. Keisha is new to her phoenix power, so she's a bit shaky in using them when she tries to escape. But from their meeting to when Bran tracks her down, the reader is in for a delightful ride with these two. Their attraction to one another is undeniable, but they are caught in a power struggle much bigger than them. While Bran is determined to exact revenge and claim his rightful place in the world, Keisha is just as determined to not be used as a pawn. She will not have her choices taken from her because of who and what she is. 
Eventually, there are too many supernaturals hunting Keja, and she comes to the realization that the safest option for her right now is to agree to go with Bran to the Blue Dragon Clan holdings. There, she will meet Layden, and if she likes him, she will agree to mate him. Everyone has their agenda, but she is the key to all of it. Her choices are few, but they are hers to make. It is a harrowing escape to safety within the mountains of the Blue Dragon Clan, but they do make it. It's Keja's first exposure to a dragon clan and to dragon life. It's not at all what she expected, and she's not what Layden expected. She doesn't bow down or scrape to do his bidding. She doesn't give a flying flip who he is, or that she's literally surrounded by, at least to her way of thinking, her enemies. He cannot control her. Luckily for her, Layden is smart, and he knows he can't take what she isn't willing to give. He hates it, but he's smart enough to play the game. So here Brand is. He is a success in his mission. He has delivered the package. He has delivered the phoenix. And now he gets to sit back and watch as his best friend and king courts his woman. And even though he won't admit that she's his, he feels it. It is a tension destined to snap. And while all this emotional drama is playing out, the Blue Dragon Clan is under constant threat from Pythios and all of his allies. So for the reader, there's all this drama playing out, all this intrigue, secret meetings and secret kisses and diverging agendas. And what it all comes down to is who will be left standing when the fires of war burn out? Keja is like a unicorn in this world of dragons, and they are fascinated by her. As the story progresses, she slowly but surely finds her footing as a phoenix and as a woman following her heart. It's a dangerous world for her to be discovering herself in. The world of dragons is shifting, and old buried secrets come tumbling out that will change everything for the main characters. Strength won't be enough to survive. But will love? Grief is an emotion that Owen digs into several times throughout this book and in this series. For all their power and might, these alpha dragons are deeply wounded little boys left to fester in that pain. For some, it plays out as good old-fashioned psychotic homicidal behavior. For others, a closed-off heart. It is a major motivator for both Keja, but especially Brand. For both, the people they love most in the world were ripped away from them by the same red dragon. It manifests in rage and anger and an obsession for revenge, but underneath, it's all just grief with its foot on the gas. For Brand, it's a hurdle that even a successful revenge won't satisfy. For centuries, he's nursed and watered his grief. And now it's a forest of pain that only Keja is capable of burning down, if he allows it. For Keja... It's the grief of losing her mother and never knowing her father. Unlike Brand, however, she has the emotional tools to navigate that grief. She had centuries with her mother, and while the seeds of distrust for dragons was deeply rooted in her by that same mother, so was love. And that's the spark that burns all of Brand's walls down. One of the themes I really enjoyed about this book, and which is continued throughout the series, is this idea of a woman's choice, particularly in a world absolutely dominated by the alpha-eest alpha males imaginable. Probably the only male more alpha than a dragon is in the Omegaverse, but that's a topic for another podcast. While the series deals with both phoenix and human mates, in The Rogue King, Owen doesn't shy away from driving the point home that no dragon is going to decide who Keja mates. Yes, she is smaller and weaker in every obvious way, but she is resolute to not become just another tool in the Dragon Wars. One of the more interesting ways in which Owen explores this theme of choice is through the lens of the rare female dragon— Born sterile, she is somewhat maligned and in this world is barely a step above a rogue dragon. Since female dragons cannot have babies, their value is placed solely in joining powerful families through mating. However, oftentimes they become little more than nursemaids to the children of their male siblings. In the Rogue King, we meet one female dragon who has taken quite a different path. Arden Ormar, the sister of the Blood King. She's a warrior and part of the Kingsguard. True, 
It is only through the generosity and, I think, the love that her brother has for her that she is even allowed such an honor. But she has risen above the prejudice within many in her clan. It's not by any means easy, but she does garner their respect. It's not about being equal. There is no equal between anyone and a male dragon. It's about seeing the women for more than what they can do to enhance their male counterparts. And a big part of that is not allowing their choices to be taken from them, demanding to be taken seriously, and refusing to play a role not of their own choosing. Another related theme that plays throughout the series is power. Who has it, who wants it, and what true power really is. As I've stated, dragons are the most powerful beings in the world. And yet, all this fighting for one tiny firebird makes me wonder who has the real power here. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that when dragons mate, there is fireplay. I mean, dragons, right? Of course there's fireplay. That being said, there is a difference between how a dragon mates a human versus how they mate a phoenix. Whereas a dragon breathes his fire into a potential human mate, if that human isn't his true mate, she is burned alive from the inside out. Brutal is the nicest way to describe that scenario. It's vicious and comes with a very heavy cost to both parties. While the dragon survives, he does lose a part of his soul forever. However, with a phoenix, it is her fire that can burn a dragon to death if he isn't her true mate, if he isn't her true choice. Again, who has the real power here? And in true romance fashion, neither the hero nor the heroine know if they are true mates or just in serious lust masquerading as love. They both have to take a leap of faith and lead with their hearts. Anything less than that, and someone is going to be a pile of ash, and it ain't going to be the phoenix. Finally, there's also the fact that finding one's true mate brings a longer lifespan to a dragon. True mate females literally save male dragons from going insane and dying. Phoenix are human. These women aren't just rare. They are ambrosia and the fountain of youth for these powerful ancient beings, and as such, coveted indeed. In the end, as with any good romance worth its salt, love is the ultimate decider in these matters. But I sure did enjoy the way Owen put Kasia and Bran through their paces as they fought against the inevitable nearly every step of the way. I think you will too. Abigail Owen is an award-winning author who writes adult paranormal romance and upper YA new adult fantasy romance. Her latest release, The Liar's Crown, is already garnering a lot of buzz. Click on the link in the description for her website and where to purchase her books. I promise, she'll be your next favorite author. Please feel free to like and share this podcast in whatever social media platform you prefer. And or please follow me on Twitter for updates on the podcast. Until next time, Romance Tribe, keep reading and saving the world one romance at a time. Oh, and P.S. Kasia isn't the only phoenix, but you'll just have to read the series and find out more. Bye-bye now. Bye now.